episode something what is our episode number Brittany? 18 18 hours of content it's nothing to sneeze at oh more than that i think probably oh, probably close to it yeah yeah that just speaks to how much we like to talk uh, we talk all the time and you know <laughs> we uh, we're still catching ourselves we're learning we're still improving we know we had some audio issues over the last couple of episodes that we think we worked out here so always room for improvement and always happy to hear your feedback but I'm excited about where we're at and how far we've come. Yeah, me too. Uh, by this time, we have gotten, we've been launched for a little over a month and we've had five, five six weeks, something yeah, like that. Yeah. 1,500 downloads. So, uh-huh. nothing to sneeze at. Woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, I'm pretty but, happy um, with that. You know, it's a labor of love for us. So, let's jump right in. Let's talk a little bit about your choice for this week's episode, which is H.H. Holmes. And I have to ask, you know, was this choice because of your proximity to Chicago? Are you just interested in A.J. Holmes? Uh, it's, I'm going to say it's trifold. Oh, uh, goodness. I never, I've always heard about A.J. Holmes, but never really knew anything about him. Um, so that was just kind of curiosity. Uh, number two was I got a text from a friend from Chicago that said, I just watched this documentary. It's so interesting. I think it would make for a good topic. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then I realized that it was in Chicago. And I lived in Chicago for a few years. And so can relate to a lot of the areas and places where his attacks took place. So combining all of that together... I would thought this would make for an interesting topic. Yep. I and I appreciate your perspective perspective because you having been and lived in that area mm-hmm. for a while, I would assume you would know somewhat where the locations are that right. we're talking exactly. about. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Well, we'll just get started. H.H. H. Holmes was a Victorian era serial killer who confessed to 27 murders but only 9 could plausibly be confirmed and several of the people he claimed to have murdered were still alive. That's curious. I know. He's also said to have killed more than 200. Right. Though, I think, you know, what I gathered from, you know, researching this entire subject was that the lore of H.H. Holmes appears to be far grander than what actually occurred. And I'm not saying that what he did was not important. Mm -hmm. Important in a really, you know terrible way but i think that he may have glamorized the subject matter a bit to uh sell his story which is ultimately what we'll find out later he did 
Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, you actually mentioned that when we first started talking about taking on this topic. And as I said, I didn't know a whole lot about him. What really hooked me was the uh, Hotel of Horrors, the castle, as it was called, that I just described all of the rooms about. Uh, to me, I found that fascinating in kind of a sick and twisted way. But to me, that was really what interested me. And then as I got into the research, I found that there are some other possible connections that we might discuss that yes uh that makes it even more intriguing this guy he lived into his 30s uh but he 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 moved around a lot he traveled he was well versed at something uh he went to medical school so you know he had um he seemed to have enough money to be able to get around and make things happen for himself in the way that he you wouldn't if you didn't have money right and i think that sort of speaks to him being just an an absolute con artist many of his victims were said to have been killed in a mixed-use building that he owned and that mixed-use building was located about three miles west of the 1893 chicago world's fair Uh which is really interesting and we'll talk about that a little bit later too because he was that that building also was in close proximity to the red light district in chicago at the time very similar of another subject that we will talk about in the future and we will talk a little about a little here which is jack the ripper who is jack the ripper we'll say um who we all know was um actually never identified there were a lot of suspects but there was um no one you know ever tried and found guilty of those crimes hh holmes before he went on his murder spree, built a reputation of being a con man and um, a swindler, you might want to say, because he was actually born Herman Webster Mudgett, and I kept calling him Herman Munster. <laughs> I literally Aww. every time I kept on thinking that oh, Herman Munster. Um, and, and he um, he was brought up in a pretty well-to-do, very religious ha- a family in New Hampshire. He was born his parents' third child. He had an older sister Ellen and an older brother Arthur, and a younger brother Henry and a younger sister Mary. So he was from a a, a family who had multiple children. I didn't find much about his upbringing. He was brought up in a pretty well-to-do, very religious family in New Hampshire, but uh, he was bullied early on in life. He was kind of the nerdy kid. Uh, His father was from a farming family, and at times he worked as a farmer, trader, and house painter, and his parents were devout Methodists. Right. Which is pretty... They were very religious. Yeah, but that's sort of less of the extremes. I always felt sure. like people sort of lend towards the Methodists when they're looking for a middle-of-the-road religion. Maybe. Yeah. I actually don't know too much about Methodism. I don't either, but my grandfather was a Baptist uh-huh. uh, minister. Right. And he built a Baptist church in Kentucky. Uh-huh. And um, not to digress here, but just to tell you what I know about the difference, he there was a time where he... There were a lot of Mennonites in the area where my grandfather grew up. And, you know, he was very much, you know, wanting people to, um, you know, accept each other as they were. And the religions at that time did not do that. Baptists did not like Methodists and Mennonites and so on and so on and so on. So my grandfather donated a large portion of land to the Mennonites so that they could have a place to live. And the Baptist church did not like that. So my grandfather struck off from the Baptist church and became a Methodist. So when my grandfather died, my grandfather had two funerals. It was the weirdest, most interesting thing I've ever seen. 
because and you know usually you don't get to go to two funerals no, for the same person. No. And so the funeral for that the Baptist folks held for my grandfather was vastly different than the much more docile Methodist, you know. Sure, it sounds uh, like it. You know, funeral. It was really really interesting, but to me that's what stands out is just, you know, just the way that the religions just performed, you know, as a congregation and it was um there are there are great differences, mm-hmm. I will say. Sure. So, um, you know, middle of the road, they were Methodist. You know, I mean, this was in the 1880s um, and 1860s. 1860s and sort of similar time frame to one of our previous episodes, Brittany, that I will call out, which is the Julia Pastrana episode we talked about. You know, it was exactly the same time period it was. where, where um, you know, the Victoria era was very interesting and many things happened that were significant. And in particular, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair was important for a couple of reasons that, and one of them in particular was probably the most important reason, which we'll talk about a little little later. Here's what I'll say about H.H. H. Holmes before we get too deep in. I'm not sure, I don't think he enjoyed killing people per se. I think he was more of a con artist and he just killed people uh, for financial gain. Um I, I don't think he enjoyed it. I think he just did it, you know, as a means to an end. I don't know. I mean, it, maybe because he he was a conman more than anything else, it mm-hmm. certainly seemed like. But if he was as prolific as the legend says, you don't do that as a means to an end. You really, and you don't go to the lengths that he did to build this three-story building with the second floor essentially entirely his torture chamber and then his basement how he is the way that he destroyed the bodies he went through great lengths to Mm -hmm. do that and i feel like he had to have a sickness within him to drive him to have that desire i think you're right but i think well maybe because what also throws me off is they never found any bodies in the hotel they never found bodies but they did find skeletal remains oh they did and where were those skeletal remains in the basement Oh, I thought they didn't. They weren't able to excavate that. Let's talk about that later. Okay, got it. Okay, we will let's put a pin in that for we'll now. We're gonna put a pin in that. We'll so, talk about that later. Got it. So let's go back. You know, as we said, he was born Herman Webster Mudgett. Munster. He was born in 1861, and he lived until 1896. He was better known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, or more commonly H. H. Holmes, and many other aliases as well. He, um, again, a prolific con artist absolutely mm-hmm. uh swindler he was apparently fairly charming and he would manipulate his way into many situations um i think him and his alias has also helped him to hide um you know because this was pre um you know forensic studies and the knowing the, the police knowing the proper way to actually preserve a, a crime scene you know, these were all challenges that made being a serial killer actually fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, and it would take a lot. I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, Jack the Ripper had 13 witnesses. There he, there were certainly some witnesses. Yeah, there were 13. And even with that, they weren't able to identify right. him. For H.H. H. Holmes, he left a trail, but his trail for me wasn't about murder his trail was more about you know like i said the con it really was it was you know he committed arson he killed people to use their bodies to cash in on insurance policies Uh um you know 
you know, we'll talk a little bit more about each one of those, the, the ones that we know about right. and, and, and the things that we can, we know for sure. We're not going to delve too much into the things that may be questionable because there's just so many of them. There's a lot. Yeah. But early on in life, as far as trying to cash in on insurance policies, he went to medical school uh, and took a, uh, was under the tutelage of a professor who uh, was an expert in human dissection. And his early actions included, as you mentioned, uh, insurance fraud, where he would try and fake his own death. And I think it was either he murdered someone else at one point to mm-hmm. fake his own death. And his then, own or their death? No, no, no. He it, did that too. And he, yes, he would also do that also. But he yes. also tried to fake his own death huh. by using someone else's body, but by destroying their face so it was not evident who it was and then he also would uh have access to cadavers because his mentor essentially was like i said an expert in human dissection and that's how he really got training for all of his future horrendous crimes yeah but i think those i think his training Helped him, you know, like I said, I wrote it. What I really took away was this guy was doing things for money. He was, you know, selling skeletons for money. And so obviously he got very good at skinning and taking the skeletons out of these bodies. He needed privacy and he needed time to do that. At the age of 16, Holmes graduates from high school and he took teaching jobs in the local area. Apparently he wasn't very good at these teaching jobs. I'm not sure what that meant. Um, I... In preparing for this conversation, Uh I watched eight hours of the History Channel's The American Ripper, Uh which I thought was really interesting. It was. Had a lot of really interesting information. It was actually co-hosted by H.H. Holmes' great-great-grandson. So uh, in 1878, uh, Holmes married Clara Leverling, Lover, Lovering, and they had a son, Robert Lovering. So A.J. Holmes had kids. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, in particular, kids. the one that I really like, yeah. you know, to talk about in particular is the gentleman who was named Robert, who was the son of H.H. Holmes. And this would, he would have been known as Robert Lovering Mudgett. He was a uh, CPA and he served as the city manager for... What city, Brittany? I don't know. Everything leads back to Florida. Oh, my goodness. He was the city manager of Orlando, Florida. Oh, no. He died in 1956. So that's why I don't think it was as great. Great, great. Got it. it. Two greats. Okay. All because right. his own son, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 50s. Okay, okay. So, uh, but I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God. How do we end up back in Everything Florida? Everything drives back to Florida. I, I, oof. Well, hopefully not everything. After getting married and uh, giving birth to, or, or his wife giving birth to his first son, he enrolled in the University of Vermont Medical School. He then transferred to the University of Michigan. Clara and Robert came with them initially, but soon returned back to New Hampshire. It's likely because he was abusive to Clara. The roommates that he shared while at the University of Michigan reported that there was some conflict and possible abuse happening. At the University of Michigan? Yeah. 
Huh. Interesting. Did he actually become a doctor? Well, yeah, I think that's where he graduated from. But did he graduate with a doctor degree or did he graduate with more of a, a, an undergraduate degree? You know, I don't know. I was wondering that too. I'm thinking, so he, because he went to medical school, I think it was a doctor degree. I don't know. I mean, back in 1880, whatever it was, 1878, something like that. I don't know what the education system was like. So mm. that way it may have been that you didn't go to undergraduate, graduate, doctor it's possible you just went straight to medical school. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that's kind of how I took it. He essentially just went into medical school. And so he graduated from the University of Michigan with his medical doctor degree. So here's a guy who, so H.H. Holmes, the MD, was a real title, and it wasn't just something that he decided to call himself, Dr. H.H. Holmes. No, no, no. I think it was a real title. Which is really interesting because you've got a person who is then fairly accomplished, still running around... Uh, you know, yeah. acting as a con man. It's so weird. No, 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 for sure. I never found anything about him practicing medicine after he graduated, but I did find that he worked in pharmacies. So maybe yeah. he didn't see patients, but still worked in medicine. Yes, agreed. So after completing medical school, uh, Herman Mudgett went back to, uh, or got a, a job as a store clerk in Moore's Forks, New York. And he quickly left there because a young boy went missing after last being seen going into that store. Then after that, Mudgett moved to Philadelphia and took his first medical-related job as a pharmacist, where another young boy happened to die after taking one of his medications. And it was after this point that Mudgett denied any wrongdoing, but fled and officially, officially changed his name to Dr. Howard, uh, Henry Howard Holmes. So let's go back to the first boy. Yeah. What I can see is that a rumor spread that Holmes had been seen with a little boy who later disappeared. Holmes claimed the boy went back to his home in Massachusetts. No investigation took place, and Holmes quickly left town. Why? Why would there have been no in- investigation? Like, I, what I found all through this case was that everything sort of just, you know, filters out or uh, you yeah. know, fizzles out. There's no, there's no research after it. It's just like, okay, yeah, he must have gone. Like, no, that's exactly. And maybe it was because he was a respected doctor or... Or well, just a doctor, maybe not respected, maybe, but still. Maybe just a doctor, but that's kind of led to how he got caught. But he was, I felt like for so long, he was just taken at his word. And yeah. he fled on his own because he was afraid of getting caught. But to your point, there really wasn't an investigation in the first place. No, no. I mean, he was ahead of it. He, for the times, he was very smart and mm-hmm. he seemed to understand that, you know, when it was when he should not overstay his welcome, and when <laughs> yes, he's very good at that. Getting was good, right? right? And um, getting away, and you know, I mean, God, it was it hasn't been that many years where police departments actually talk to each other, it's and true. sometimes they don't, still don't, yeah, which is not helpful. But I think Holmes was really onto that. I mean, look, if he passed his examinations and you know in medical school, and I'm not sure what the examinations right. were back Who then because the medical boards were like. Yeah, but I mean, he still must have been fairly intelligent. He was. He was very intelligent. Yeah. That was never in question. He was a very smart guy. Yeah. So this is a person at that level who's not your, you know, 
sort of lowbrow criminal mm-hmm. who's just, you know, doing things to earn five bucks. I mean, he was a white collar criminal, you know, in yes. my opinion. This is a person who wasn't just in it for drugs or. And he was very thoughtful about everything that he did. Yeah. Well, he had a, pl- he, every single thing he did was, a, it was an end result of him making money. Yeah. I mean, everything. You're right. That was his goal. Yeah. Even the hotel. When, after he left uh, the Northeast, he moved to Chicago. But before doing that, he married another woman that he met in Minneapolis in 1886 uh, and had a daughter. His wife, his new wife's name was Murda, and his daughter was Lucy. Now, curiously, and this won't be the first time this happens... He was still married to Clara, and he tried to get a divorce from Clara by claiming infidelity on her part. <laughs> well, yeah, because nobody believes women. Well, but there, he actually couldn't back it up, so the divorce was denied. Oh. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, back so, it up by what? Providing? Or I don't know, details or evidence? Oh. I mean, so he, under a new alias... He was mar- he was married to Clara as Herman Mudgett. Now he got married to uh, his second wife Murda as H. H. Holmes, Henry Howard Holmes. Hmm. So simultaneous married to two women and two children by both of his wives. Boy, what it must have been like to been H. H. Holmes's kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yikes. Yeah. Not like he was around much. It sounds like he kind of jumped around. He jumped around a lot. And um, ultimately, I'll just mention this now, later in life, while he was still married to Clara and Murda, he went to Denver and married a third woman, Georgiana Yoke. So he, I don't even know how that's possible, being married to three people at the same time, but he pulled it off. I, why would he marry them? I don't, yeah. Um... Money. I think a couple of them got money. It was money. Exactly. I think that's what I remember. Yes. So as you said, Holmes arrived in Chicago in August of 1886. uh, And that's when he started using H.H. Holmes as his nomicker. He um, came across Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore at the southwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood. Brittany, do you know where that is in Chicago? Not kind of, not terribly familiar with it. I I saw where it was on the map, and uh, I saw the the clips from the American Ripper story that you were saying, or not the clips. I watched that series also, uh, and they were showing where it was, and it looked kind of familiar, but I'm not super familiar with that area. Got it. So another one of those mysteries about. Um... You know, Holmes and what has been said versus what was reality was that Holmes came in, was hired by Holton, um, and she said he was a hardworking employee, and then ultimately he went on to buy them out. But Mm -hmm. it's said, and it was sort of glamorized, that he actually killed them. But it's been proven that they both lived into the 20th century. Well, and it is a myth they were killed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not realize that was a myth. Yes. I did know that there were a number, as you said, that he claimed to have murdered that didn't happen, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah, he just bought them out, which means he had money, you know? Well, yeah, of course he had money. And it said that years later when Holmes was suspected of murder and, you know, I, I can't tell if the doctor said this about Holmes or Holmes said himself, but... He, 
he said that no, I, I wasn't a murderer, but I was just purely an insurance fraudster. Uh, and he admitted to using cadavers to defraud insurance companies several times while in college. Yeah. In college. Oh, no, early. Yeah. Like, he he started real young at, yeah. the, at this. He and died pretty young. Yeah, he was only in his 30s. Yeah. Uh, but he and he was proud of that. He It was a game to him, and he was really excited and happy to be doing it. Yeah. He made a lot of money off of it, too. Apparently. Uh, it sounds to me like you could get two, three, four hundred dollars right. for a cadaver, which exactly. is a lot of money back it's then. It's a lot of money. I think that, so let's put it into perspective. When he got, I'm just trying to figure out the math. Okay. If $7,500 is oh. equivalent to $200,000 now, what would two to $300 be? I'm going to look it up. Uh, no, $100 in 1880 would, would be equal to $2,500 today. So $7,500 for a body. That's not that much money. It is if it's pretty easy to get them. Uh, yeah, but somebody... Okay. If I'm going to kill somebody, I'm going to want a hell of a lot more than 7500 bucks for that that body. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. That's why I'm thinking like $7,500? I guess, but he was more about volume. So if H.H. Holmes will say got... $300 per body, which mm-hmm. in 2020 currency is about $7,500. Yeah. And let's say he did everything that he's rumored to do. Killed 200 people. Mm-hmm. And let's say he sold all of those bodies, which we know he didn't. Mm-hmm. That would come out to about $1.5 million. Well, That's not that much. No, I guess not. I mean, a million dollars would be fantastic right now but that's not that much yeah maybe not yeah i mean i guess he was just willing he was willing to do it didn't matter yeah he definitely he definitely committed insurance fraud with cadavers he did and each time he did that he would get about twenty thousand dollars and so what i my guess is that why he escalated and started murdering people i i what from what i understood he would, you know, at the beginning of his career, right. uh, his cadaver career, uh-huh. he would actually go and dig bodies up. Ooh. And that became a big hootie-hoo, you sure. know, as we know. And, um, you know, was not allowed, you know. Of course not. Yeah. But there was a time there where the schools that were buying the bodies would look, look, you know. They'd look the know, other way. For sure. Yeah. They were I just, agreed. you know, like, hey, we don't right. care how we get them because what are we going to, you know. How else are we going to get them? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then there was this whole thing. I don't know if you remember about, um, you know, people would put. Uh, have some, they would pay, if you had money, you would pay someone to sit on your grave to make sure that nobody took you out of your grave and sold you. And they would leave them there for quite a number of weeks. Whoa. Yeah, because after a while, the body's no good. So it was as oh, long as it took right. for them yeah, to Yeah, because decompose. it would have to be like a fresh, a fresh pre-decomposed. That makes sense. That yeah. makes perfect sense. Okay. I love that movie with um that, the Body Snatchers with Bella Lugosi. Oh. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's fantastic. I think you mentioned it before, and it's The Body Snatchers, not Invasion of the Body Snatchers. No, that is a very different yeah, movie, yeah. but right, I right, love right. that movie, too. I know, I do, too. But, no, the Bella Lugosi movie, uh, The Body Snatchers, is absolutely about grave robbing. Got it. That is the entire purpose, including, I think, Bella Lugosi plays a doctor. Probably, yeah. yeah. Sure. Not he'd, he'd make a good doctor. Yes. He would. He's good at everything. 
I mean, that's what I find really interesting about Holmes is that, you know, he had the ability to make money. He was a medical doctor. Right. He All he had to do was work. All he had to do. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, You're like, right. it's all not that hard. Work. Right. He worked really hard at not working. Uh, yep. Know? He worked harder at, like, the cadaver thing yeah. and arson. He set a couple of buildings on fire. Yeah. And he would take out all these policies. I'm like, yeah. dude, wouldn't it be just easier just to go to work? Just like, to, you're a doctor. Just to do your real job. I mean, I don't know what doctors made in the 1880s, but I'm sure it wasn't bad money, and I'm sure it wasn't necessary for, no. for him to do this. And they were well-respected. I mean, of like... Of course they were. Uh, again, you know, a person who has some talent. He uh-huh. must have passed his examinations. He right. was a doctor. So for sure. I'm just surprised, you know. I mean, this sort of speaks to, I think, his personality and just trying to go around the curve, per se. Trying to find a, a an easy way out, but... He also enjoyed the he enjoyed the mental aspect of it. He liked to think about it and be cerebral in his actions. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, he was definitely a plotter in his young age. Uh, so. For sure. So <clears throat> Holmes now has the pharmacy. He purchases an empty lot across the street from the drugstore, mm-hmm. and that's where he begins his construction on his. Um, two-story mixed-use building, which is a combination of apartments, uh, retail spaces, a new drugstore, and apparently then he started also building out certain areas of the hotel with his architectural torture yeah. situation. So, I, I mean, who would have drawn these plans up? It sounds like he would hire and fire contractors all the time so nobody would know all the details of the hotel for sure so it was originally blueprinted out to be a two-story building but it ultimately became a three-story building that was the size of an entire city block and uh was known around chicago as the castle and it was three stories plus a basement Yep. In 1892, he added the third floor, and he told investors and suppliers he intended to use it as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition, though the hotel portion was never completed. So did anybody actually stay in the hotel? So I hadn't heard that the hotel portion was never completed, but I did hear that a lot of his victims were visitors for the Columbian Exposition, which is also known as the World's Fair. Mm. Uh, and just a little aside for the the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, I remember when I lived there, it was still almost like a celebrated thing over a hundred over a hundred years later, uh, they were still like signs and posters. People were actually like proud of it over a century later. It's kind of a big deal when you first got, you know, light being introduced. I mean, that's a, I mean, light was, there was light, but light bulbs. Light Let's bulbs. Let's clarif- clarify that because we had gas lighting Exactly. Before. And it, it wasn't the official first use. It was the first wide usage. Sure. It was at the time, you know, wealthy families or wealthy people had some, and it was referred to as the white city because of the awe-inspiring vision of Nikola Tesla and at one instance, 100,000 or hundreds of thousands of light bulbs lit up Chicago for the first time. And it was a, a vision that no one had ever seen. And there's actually a book called The Devil in the White City, which is all about H.H. Holmes at the Chicago World's Fair. And I wanted to read that before we recorded, but I didn't have enough time. So I read the Cliff Notes. This was also the launch of the first Ferris wheel. 
First Ferris wheel. Uh huh. First washing machine. Oh, re- yep. First moving sidewalk. Oh. Which I'm not sure what that means. And I think I saw dishwasher too. Not surprising. They yeah. seemed like there were some appliances yeah, that were for up sure. and coming. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know about the sidewalk. Yeah. Ooh. I'm not sure what, uh, like, I don't know what that meant. Like an, an like an escalator? Or... Oh, I'm thinking like, you know, in the airports where you have to walk like a mile from one end to the other and it's got those moving sidewalks? I guess. That's I'm going to look into that's that. That's what it means to me, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. That, that will. That would be really interesting to see. So let's talk a little bit about the hotel and what we know about that. Yep. And, uh, you know, because I, this guy went to great lengths to build it. I'm not sure how much he used it, but, you know, you mentioned that yeah. they had found some skeletal remains in, in the basement. And the documentary I watched, like I said, The American Ripper mm-hmm. by the History Channel, they actually went to the spot where the hotel um, was previously located. Exactly. Which is now a post office. So I'll read you a little bit blurb about the the hotel. It says there were soundproof rooms and mazes of hallways, some of which seemed to go nowhere. Many of the rooms were outfitted with chutes and would drop straight down to the basement while Holmes had acid vats. He had acid vats, quicklime, and a crematorium to go. dispose of his victim's body. Uh-huh. Bodies. Bodies, now, yeah. I don't... I, did he... Didn't anybody wonder what this guy was going to do with, you know, this setup? And maybe he had them, he had different people build each part of it so it didn't seem weird collectively. That's nobody saw the full picture. Well, that's literally what happened is Mm. he hired multiple contractors, multiple builders. They each built a certain segment. And when they finished with their segment, they were fired. And then someone else was brought in. And he took out the entire building was paid for, and I use that term loosely, on credit. And he, of course, never came through on paying his debts. So really, he defaulted on his loans. Yep. The investors pulled out, and then there was a mystery fire that burned the hotel down right after he was arrested. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But you are 100% that is how that happened. So he never used really any He never used his own money for this. No. This thing. No, he never paid for this. Wow, crazy. And, you know, if you watch that History Channel documentary, they do go to the location. They do ask to excavate, you know, Mm -hmm. the area of the post office, which is now the parking lot. I'm not sure if they got permission to do that, but they did a lot of excavating in in this documentary. I don't think they ever got permission. It was interesting. I mean, I thought they did a good job. There was a lot of detail and some of it for me went nowhere. But I appreciate that someone put a lot of thought into to it. And I also like that the great great grandson was a part of it right. because I really felt like he was passionate about the subject. Yeah, in it meant spite of to him. the subject matter. Definitely. Um so, you know, we'll talk a little later about the excavation and, you know, exhumation of Holmes's body in in a little in a little more in detail. But back to the hotel. So the in 1892, the hotel was somewhat completed, mm-hmm. apparently, with three stories in a basement. Uh, the first floor was the storefront. The second story consisted of elaborate torture rooms, which I'm still unclear on why they were torture rooms. It was like, I mean, what were there shackles? Were there, I mean, I what I saw was there were some rooms with gas. Exactly. But I'm not, I'm, I'm. And I think there was a room for people were hanged, but I think. Uh, but I agree. I don't know what level of torture he partook in. Yeah, because oh. he seemed to go out of his way to kill people before he actually did any torture. Most of the time, yeah, I mm. agree. Um, but 
I mean, I'm sure there were times where maybe things didn't go according to plan and he did torture and kill people. Yeah, no, for sure. The, um, of course the police went in and they investigated into the building and they found rooms with hinged walls, um, false partitions, rooms linked with secret passageways and even airtight rooms that were connected to pipelines filled with gas, which homes would use as gas chambers. Exactly. Which again speaks to his, um, you know, sort of looking for a clean process in which to get his, the bodies. And mm-hmm. it seemed to me that he was really more interested in, in having cadavers than it was you know the murder per se i think again that was maybe a means to an end or i feel like he would have spent more time on it well maybe i mean i i think building all of that out and planning it through it's spending a lot of time on it he put a lot of thought into that but maybe he was spending more time maybe he was really just looking for cadavers and bodies and that was a means to an end we'll definitely post some pictures of what the floor plans looked like yeah it's uh it's it's fascinating yeah they're all over the internet by the way i mean this is so well documented i mean it's it's fairly easy to to see what what was there before it was burned down um holmes would use shoots to deliver the bodies to the basement and once there he made use of surgical tables and an array of medical tools to dissect them before selling their organs and bones on the black market into medical institutions Mm -hmm. so apparently he was pretty well known for this kind of behavior you know do you think that he was protected in any way by the people who needed his services yes and i was going to mention that i think so too the uh one of his frequent clients was the university of chicago And they purchased several bodies from him and always seemed to turn away when he would come back up. And instead of asking questions, they would just pay him out and send him on his way. Okay, so I know you are dying to talk about your favorite topic. Mm, I think it's less of my favorite topic these days than you would think. Is it? Mm -hmm. Well... I don't think we need to go into too much detail. We're going to save that for another time. But curiously, during... Oh, I do want to talk a little bit about it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I have thoughts. Okay, so curiously, during the time, uh, I think it was during the construction of the hotel, mm-hmm. a similar murderer came uh, became very prominent in England, and that was Jack the Ripper. Correct. And Jack the Ripper's crimes happened... In between H.H. Holmes's final killing that took place before the hotel and before his first murder in the hotel. Well, only if you believe that Jack the Ripper only killed five people. Because hmm, okay, if you look at the 11 or more, sure. I and mean, I think that that's what's challenging about Jack the Ripper is... It's hard. You're hard pressed to find the end of it because you, what is really the end? If right. you look at just the five who we who they drew to the conclusion that they were similar enough that they were one person. Uh huh. But the likelihood of it being have Jack the Ripper being more than one person possible. Definitely right? a possibility. And it didn't actually. It started earlier than that, and it actually went on later than that, depending upon who you thought was actually a victim of Jack the Ripper. Sure. The Jack the Ripper victims, you know, as we know, Miriam Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. They were known as the canonical 
five. And they were murdered between August 31st and November 9th, 1888. That is a very, very short period of time. Yeah, it is. And then the other deaths that we talked about that could be a contributed or not to Jack Thripper would have been between 1897 and 1891 okay. or 18, 1897. I need, that didn't make, 1887. No, that's 87, 1887. 1887. Okay. Yes. Okay. So many of, if you look at the gamut of yeah. all the deaths that were happening in the area. Now, <clears throat> Jack the Ripper, um, whoever he was, uh, and he may have been more than, you know, one person. The, you know, these were women who were prostitutes. It happened in a very specific area in London called Whitechapel, which was not a nice area. And, um, you know, as we've seen a lot in history, of course, um, you know, prostitutes were and still continue to be a target for um, people who are serial killers Mm -hmm. and just violence in general because there's this idea that prostitutes don't matter and nobody's going to look for them and they are less than... Um, less important than other people and probably would just be um, sort of pushed to the side and and not really um, followed through as much as others. And I think that still happens today. I mean, oh, I think so for sure. It's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I occasionally look at the LA Corners website. And if you do that, there's a section of the LA Corner. They have a lot of interesting information about historical, you know, Mm -hmm, crimes mm -hmm. and things like that. But there is a certain area that you can go into the LA Corners website and it will, it's, it'll show you pictures of everyone who is currently being held at the morgue and who they are trying to identify. And the majority of those people, and these are pictures so that people can identify their loved ones uh-huh so yeah yeah i got it you can see what these people look like oh wow and the majority are young women yeah oh, it's that's, really that's really, really sad. sad it's very very sad oh. so again you know these people were vulnerable yeah. you know they had um challenges you know most of the prostitutes that jack the ripper killed you know they were having to pay for a bed and you uh-huh. know and the way that they pay for a bed to sleep in every night was by prostituting right, right? Mm-hmm. so you know, the Jack the Ripper thing. I've gone on the Jack the Ripper tour in London twice, I by know the you way. Have. And uh, I I find it really, really fascinating. But mainly my fascination is about the architecture and some of the um, the areas in the community still being attacked. I mean, you can stand in front of a couple of those buildings, mm-hmm. and they are exactly the same as they were back then. And I think that's really fascinating. That is really cool. You're, like, you're standing right here where, you know... Yes. Mary Jane Kelly or Mary Ann Nichols. Mary Jane Kelly was actually inside and found in a room, which is why she was so mutilated because mm. she um, he had time. Yeah, you definitely. Know, he ultimately had time. But the similarities to H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are mainly that whoever committed the Jack the Ripper crimes, more than one or whatever, just one, they had anatomical knowledge. Oh, yes, definitely. incredibly hard to take out a woman's uterus and not understand what it looks like and how to get it and not damage other organs. Mm -hmm. So they, I think that the kidneys were also taken out. I mean, it was, it was very precise Uh and um, it was an act of someone who had experience in that area. So either a butcher or a mortician or whatever, but somebody knew what they were doing. And if you haven't connected the dots now, of course, where we're going with this is there is a suggestion 
And that's it's the a big part of the topic of the show American Ripper that H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are one and the same. And there are even some letters in diary entries by H.H. H. Holmes that allude to the fact that he may have been in London at the time of the Jack the Ripper killings. Yeah. It's just that the evidence is so sparse. It's very sparse. Ultimately, the, the result is there there is no answer they pretty much didn't get any further than yeah. where they started exactly for and, me mm-hmm. i think there are definitely similarities and there are differences absolutely the similarities for me are the methods right yes you know, understanding anatomy the proximity to brothels i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. and how it's so easily translated between one you know country and another um just by coming in and sort of you know sort of following that same process and just going to a new place or going back to your old place if it would have been H.H. H. Holmes, right? Right. Because he would have come home and continued. Mm-hmm. So I think the part of it that is interesting, if you think that Jack the Ripper was just about five killings and if you think that even Jack the Ripper was about 11 killings, then it you can, you can see that he's whoever Jack the Ripper was, they started and they stopped in a really, really small time frame, which is not very common, honestly. Unless something happened to whoever was committing those murders. They died. They were found guilty of something else. Whatever it was. But it's rare for to commit the crimes that the level that that person did. And just to be able to walk away from it. So that to me suggests that it was somebody who probably went somewhere else. Um, the timing works, Brittany. If you for sure. think about what the documentary that we're talking about, The American Ripper, talks about where... They suggest, but what they're suggesting is just based on logs from shipping logs that have aliases that Holmes used to use. Right. But it's not saying that other people didn't use those aliases or that those people were, were actually real people. Yeah, I mean, I would think it's probably more likely that Holmes actually took aliases from real people. Yeah, probably. And possibly some of the people he killed. For sure. Not, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. No, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's circumstantial at best. It makes for a cool, fun, interesting story, but there's no decisive evidence to suggest that it's the, the Jack the Ripper and H.H. H. Holmes are one and the same. Yeah, I think it's really um, uh, questionable. The only thing that I did think was really interesting about that documentary that I want to mention is that they did a handwriting analysis and that didn't really show anything in it, um, you know, specific. It was inconclusive. Uh-huh. That's the word best. I would use. But what I thought was interesting is they did do a comparison of the, um, the letters that the, the Jack the Ripper, you know, suspect whoever it was sent in to the news and so on and so on and a lot of the way that those letters were written the grammar was very american and not british mm-hmm. um you know when uh, just the terminology sure you know, hey boss right um and then instead of using the terminology straight away they used right away and right away is a very specific it's an american, american colloquialism even now when we talk to some of our people that we work with who are from Britain, they say straight away and I kind of laughed myself. But, um, you know, I think those, I think that was really interesting because maybe not H.H. Holmes, but who's not to say that it couldn't have been another American who committed those crimes. Yeah. The Jack the Ripper crimes I thought were really strange. I mean, again, you know, even if they would have gone on for a couple of years, the likelihood of them going on a couple of years um, is really hard to believe, you know, that, 
someone wouldn't have something finished their career. They did not stop on their own. Right. That you can you can be for certain, um, knowing what would you know what we know now about serial killers and their patterns. Okay, so at the height of the horror hotel, the murder mansion, the whatever you want to call it, uh, the castle killings. Just came up with those. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Fancy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Dr. Holmes was uh, looking for some help to try and, uh, I think, help cover his tracks, but also get some more victims. So keep in mind, of course, this is 1893, during the World's Fair, at the height of his crimes. And at the time, he hired an assistant named Benjamin Peitzel, who was a drifter, who had a uh, criminal record. Um, He had a few kids. Holmes hired him, out of the goodness of his heart, as a carpenter. (laughs) On the uh, what did he, on the what castle? Did he oh, he was a carpenter on the castle. On the, yeah, he was a carpenter on the castle. But this was the second castle, the one that he was building in Fort Worth, right? Or the first? No, castle? no, no. It was still the first castle. Still the first castle. It was okay. still the first castle. Got it. Got yeah. It. Um, and so they he actually became very close with Peitzel and his family, uh, and uh, spent a lot of time uh, at his. Uh, at his house, and uh, I think they even said that Peitzel's kids may have referred to him as uncle, Holmes that is, Uh, but on the side, of course, Peitzel was uh, an extra hand to help try and lure women, Uh, and one of those women was uh, Minnie Williams, who Holmes started an affair with after he hired her to be a personal assistant. Oh, goodness. And in doing so, she found out, to your point about Fort Worth, that she had a deed to property in Fort Worth, Texas, worth about $40,000. Holmes was able to trick Minnie Williams into signing over the deed to this property to Holmes, but under a new alias. And once the deal went through... He killed Minnie. So how did I? Don't, what? what? Okay. Hold on a second. How okay. Did he, how, how do you proceed to talk someone into signing over the deed to your house? Did he promise her something, or was she in love with him? I think it, I think it was more like they were in love, and she saw a future together with him. Oh, yeah. And then he killed her. And then he killed her. Okay. He went down to Texas with Peitzel. The next foray uh, into insurance fraud was. Peitzel and Holmes working together. And the deal was that Peitzel was supposed to fake his death. And um, and then, of course, Holmes told him that he would, uh, you know, provide a cadaver uh, in in place of um, Peitzel. Peitzel went under another name. He went under a name, the name of B.F. Perry and to be known as an inventor. So Peitzel was, you know, obviously hiding his own identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know what it mattered if they had a cadaver in place of B.F. Perry per se, because it, I mean, I guess it didn't matter who, nobody had anything to match to B.F. Perry because B.F. Perry didn't even exist exactly. anyway. True. So it really didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So the, the agreement behind it was that, uh, Holmes and, uh, well, Peitzel would kind of go underground 
for a little while after he was dead and then resurface. And so half the money would go to Holmes, the insurance money. Half of it would go to Peitzel's wife, Sally, I believe her name is. And uh, then after a couple months, after the dust settled, Peitzel would come back up. But of course, what actually happened, I believe this took place in Philadelphia, the uh, Peitzel was supposed to go into, went into this place where it was going to happen. Um, he was an inventor and kind of like a scientist. Uh, and he was, I think, going to pitch something. And so when he went upstairs to his meeting to pitch where the cadaver was going to be and where they were staging this scene, he found Holmes and Holmes proceeded to kill him. And created a little bit of a small explosion in this kind of makeshift science lab. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So did Holmes get the money for Peitzel's death at one point? And then that's... How, how did that go down? How well, did they, the, the money ultimately, went, you know, Holmes gets arrested. He finally well, yeah. gets found out. So, yeah, for sure. The money went to uh, Peitzel's family. Peitzel's family was equally manipulated by Holmes. They, as I said, looked at him as an uncle, but Peitzel's wife, or now his widow, uh, became more and more suspicious of H.H. Holmes. He was then... Uh, so shortly after this, he uh, Holmes was arrested, albeit only temporarily, uh, for, I believe it was in uh, insurance fraud, for another case of insurance fraud. Hmm. Uh, and it was in here, his first foray into jail, that would ultimately become his undoing. Because he was bailed out by his wife, wife number three, try wife, uh, third simultaneous wife. Georgina. Then he went on the run with Peitzel's family. So are you familiar with this part of the story? I am familiar with it, but I would love for you to talk about okay. it. Okay. So the way that I understand it happened, uh, Sally Peitzel is becoming more and more suspicious, mm-hmm. but H.H. Holmes is suggesting that he needs to take their kids on the road with him. Well, that's the part that I think is really weird because if she's becoming suspicious, why in the world would she ever let this guy leave with her kids? Which exactly. she does. Yeah, she absolutely does. Yeah. They have, uh, the Peitzels have five children and the oldest and youngest stay home. The oldest stays home to take care of the youngest, which is a, an infant or a baby, I believe, mm. at the time. The mm. other three go with Holmes. Huh. All right. So here's where I was unclear and, and have some questions and maybe you can fill in the, the gray area for me. But he traveled all around the Northern United States and into Canada, but he simultaneously with the kids, but he also simultaneously was communicating with Sally Peitzel about where to go. And he was leaving bread breadcrumbs for her to follow the kids. And they were kind of going on like a parallel route and he was in constant communication, but never actually told her where the kids were. Hmm. Interesting. So do you have any more information? Cause I, that's I like don't. I said, that's a great area for me. I'm not entirely sure how that happened because I think she kind of, after she allowed the kids to go with him, she kind of realized, Oh my God, this is like the wrong idea. And, kind of started to follow them 
And he was in communication even within blocks, within blocks from their mother. And Holmes and Sally would get together and never once indicate where the kids were. Why would he do that? He's a master manipulator. And was a game. It was a game. I guess, but I mean his game is all about money. Like I don't see what his end game would be for that that kind of behavior. I mean, he ultimately kills the girls. Yeah, well, the girls, and then the, there's the uh, little boy that's with them also. Yeah. yeah, yeah, The boy's teeth and bits of the bone were discovered in the home's chimney. This yes, is yes. the home that, that he rented for a short period of time, um, right? In Inglewood or somewhere. He, he no, rented th- a short short period of time somewhere. Well, uh, the, he killed the girls in Canada, in Toronto. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh. So he was in Canada. So I, I, he killed the girls together by using one of his favorite horror hotel methods which was attaching a gas line into a box where he had stuffed them essentially and suffocating them or asphyxiating them a trunk a trunk yes exactly so and so i i assumed that the boy was killed in close proximity also was the boy younger the boy i think was younger got it yeah Hmm. um so, as I mentioned, his... Oh, sorry. It okay. was Indianapolis where they rented the cottage. They, ah, that's where got they it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yep. Oh, okay. No, that kind of makes sense. Indianapolis yeah. isn't terribly far from uh, Toronto because you can just go up to Detroit and cross the bay yeah. and you're in Canada. Huh. So that makes sense. Uh, so, as I said, his ultimate undoing happened because of his dalliances the first time he was in prison for insurance fraud. He, uh, while he was in jail, he made an agreement with his cellmate in the amount of $500 mm-hmm. to, if I'm not mistaken, it was for information about an attorney or to try to get a proper attorney. And of course, we know Holmes has a history of, despite having plenty of money, never paying anyone. He never paid his contractors. He never paid his debtors, his builders. He always went on the run whenever things got too hot. And so his cellmate, being owed $500 for information, wasn't going to take this lying down. So uh, his cellmate essentially reached out to a private security company called... The Pinkerton Detective Agency, mm-hmm. who, when I was reading about them and saw them, it to me seemed like the, uh, oh, what's that movie? The Kingsman? Mm-hmm. So they're like this underground protection service agency that no one knows about and they don't really exist, but they pop up when you need it the most, including they say they thwarted a, uh, an initial attempt on Abraham Lincoln's life. So they, this organization the pinkerton detective agency ultimately tracked down hh holmes and in doing so they also found the peitzel kids and uh, in july of 1895 police and detectives went to the castle the uh the original castle in chicago to look for more evidence here is where they found skulls and bones in the basement remnants and evidence of his murders and his crimes and it was as you alluded to earlier in august of 1895 the castle strangely went up in flames and uh, was engulfed in multiple explosions and burned to the ground 
So now, um, I think this is, to your point, this is where we see Holmes and his undoing really come yep. to fruition. He ended when he was arrested in Boston in November 12th, 1894. And after being tracked there, like you said, by the Pinkertons, he was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas. Oh. Yes, which is weird. That is weird. Uh-huh. I okay. thought that was really strange. Yeah. I was like... Why would a guy? Again, I just don't understand why he felt the need to do dumb no. things like that when he was an accomplished something. No one ever was considering him for murder. Yeah. It was really just about the fraud and the theft and the petty things. Yeah. And that's what that's what his undoing was. Yep. So after they discovered the bodies of, um, you know, the two little girls in 1895, um, the Chicago police and reporters, um, they really began looking at homes and looking sure. at the house and, mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what was exactly happening in this castle. Um, it sounds to me like, again, a lot of these claims were sensationalized. Um, there was no evidence found that could convict Holmes that could have convicted Holmes of anything in Chicago. Um, according to the stories, the torture equipment found in the building are 20th century fiction. Really? Yeah. Yep. Interesting. And what about the the skulls and bones that they claim to have found in the basement? I don't know. I heard that they didn't find any yeah, bodies. Yeah, so in the that's house. really interesting. Yeah. So this, but they knew there were lime pits. They knew that yeah, there they were found the crematorium yeah. that was staged as a, a glass bending a glass bending heater, but yeah. it was ultimately crematorium. I'm not sure if that thing would have been hot enough to bend glass or to burn people. I mean that. You know, it was a wood burning, you know, fireplace. Okay. So yeah. to get that to the to heat level to burn a body because it I mean, takes a was, long time and really hot. The guy had a lot of ingenuity. I wouldn't be totally surprised if he figured out a way to do that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just if I'm gonna kill somebody, I'm probably not gonna keep the bodies on premises with me. I'm gonna figure out other ways. I mean, I think for the most part, you know, there there's there are a lot of ways to get yeah. rid of, of, of bodies, for sure. especially back in those times where. Uh -huh. You know, all you just you just needed a couple of pigs and you were all set. So pretty gross. Um, I'm gonna read a little note by H. H. Holmes because again, I I think that H. H. Holmes thought a lot of himself. He definitely did. I uh, I think that he thought more of himself than he actually you know was able to achieve. I I think that I'm one of those people who said, okay, sure, he killed some people. Was he the biggest serial killer of all time? I don't know about that. I mean, I think it, it was really sensationalized. I think that there were other people who probably murdered more and um, and, and with and more about killing than, than less about being a con artist at the end of the day. Again, Holmes, you know, goes to trial for the killing of Peitzel and the children, and he's found guilty ultimately, and he is hanged. Mm -hmm. So Holmes is hanged. There's some speculation in the documentary that we were talking about that Holmes's body was not going to be in his grave or the unmarked grave that is said that Holmes was buried in. And then, you know, he probably escaped and then he could have gone on to continue the killings because when they look in the, in the Chicago coroner's office, the people in this documentary, there are a lot of women killed, you know, and some on the same day mm -hmm. who are, are killed in the exact same way that the Jack the Ripper killings happened, as well as some of the Holmes victims. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Holmes was was hanged, and then some of these killings continued. So this has sort of led led us to believe that, you know, Holmes couldn't be Jack the Ripper. Right. And, um, you know, obviously people were killing after him, so maybe he wasn't even the only one who was, you know, 
killing all the people that he had said he did in, in Chicago and those outlying areas. So all very interesting. So they in, in the documentary, I thought it was interesting that they exhumed his body. And I guess they certainly had the right to do so because his great-great-grandson gave them permission. The grave that they dug into... So Holmes, of course, knowing what would likely happen to his body when he was buried, did not want his own body to be um, raised and, you know, whatever, stolen. So he had himself buried more than eight feet down instead of six feet. And then he was encased in a concrete um, box, a box filled with concrete. Yeah. But when you watch the documentary, it's actually more than one box full of concrete. Some box within a box? Yeah, it was a box on top of a box. Mm -hmm. So there was a layer that looked like a box. They dug through it, and they're like, oh, there's nothing here. And then they kept digging down below, and there was an entirely different box with his body. And, um, you know, what they find is that Holmes was buried. He was definitely killed. Um, You know, his body's in the ground Mm -hmm. in his grave. Um, They didn't have any evidence that he was hanged, but I don't think they need any because – um, he's dead. Yeah, he what difference dead. does that make? Yeah, he was killed. I don't think that we anybody would agree that he's, you know, he was escaped, um, which is what the thought was. So all very interesting. But I think for me, that was the moment where I realized and knew that he wasn't Jack the Ripper. Okay. Again, I just don't think that he, I, I mean, he had the medical know-how, but at the end of the day, I just don't think that he had the, the wherewithal to do it and, you know, wasn't inspired to do that because there was no money in it. I mean, I I personally think the Jack the Ripper killings were crimes of opportunity where someone had, you know, run upon a prostitute and had had sex with her and maybe just didn't want to pay her. I think it had more to do with some sort of an anger or maybe some sort of a psychological blockage or something like that. But I don't I, I think the connection of H. H. Holmes to Jack the Ripper makes for a good story. It does. I don't think it's actually accurate though. I don't think so either. I think a lot of people could have committed those crimes and and I don't know if I believe that Jack the the Jack the Ripper killings were done by one person. Yeah, that's Nor possible do I not. think that the H. H. Holmes, you know, or the Chicago killings were done by one person either. I mean, mm-hmm. I think like I said, you know, in during that time period prostitutes were vulnerable they were on the street they would go with men um and be alone with them and and put themselves at risk definitely and so in doing so you know they set themselves up in a situation that would you know definitely create uh, an opportunity for someone who wanted to take their life and not be found out Okay, time to wrap this episode up. Uh, this kind of crossover episode, H.H. Holmes, dalliance with Jack the Ripper. But uh, that's that's pretty much where the story ends about America's first serial killer between nine and over 200 victims, which will re- remain a mystery. Yes. Um, I would, again, you know, like to give credit to our sources, of course, Wikipedia always has a really <laughs> nice summary. And then, again, the American Ripper documentary series on the History Channel I thought was really informative. And I, uh, I really appreciate the detail at which those those folks really took the H.H. H. Holmes crime seriously. And whether whatever they found out, um, it was still really interesting because they, got a, they found out more information than I've ever seen from anyone else. I thought it was fascinating. And from my standpoint, uh, thanks for uh, the information for from Murderpedia, allthatsinteresting.com, the New England Historical Society, and H.H. H. Holmes, America's First Serial Killer Documentary. 
please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Scarlet TCP. Yep, and look for a new episode every Sunday night. And um, keep following us, friends. We've got some new and exciting things coming out in the next couple of weeks. So we will ping you and let you know what's upcoming. Have a great one. We are the ladies of Scarlet. Bye, Scarlettos. Keep killing it. Keep killing it.